Hello! Welcome into the Great Scott Show, coming at you on a Wednesday. Good morning. Heat take game one against the Celtics. The Magic win the NBA draft lottery. The Pelicans are at eight with the Lakers pick. Cajuns beat Nichols out on the diamond. Big game from Will Vayall. Final non-conference game of the season. And then they gear up for Thursday, Friday, Saturday at home against Little Rock to wrap up the regular season. Anthony Babineau, assistant coach, will join me at 8 o'clock in studio. Chris Connor, the legend, the Spaces legend. Friend of the program, friend of mine, trash talk extraordinaire, will be on with me at uh, at 7.15. We'll talk about the lotto, the heat, game one win over the Celtics, little Saints talk, and uh, NFL, some Monday night football changes coming up. We'll talk about Patrick Beverly and how that's what the response has been like uh, for that as well as the Timberwolf made the media rounds and and let's just say he um, he got a strong reaction. How about that? CSP and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. All that coming your way on the show this morning. So the Heat, last night, the Celtics as good as they played in the first half, as well as they shot. When you play that good and you're not even up double digits at halftime and you're on the road and you're missing two key players, it's got to be it's got to be a worry, right? Because if you watched quarters 1, 2 and 4 last night, you would think, "Oh man, Celtics went in, no Al Horford out COVID." Marcus Smart out with a foot injury. That was was easy. Come on. But if you miss the third quarter, then you miss the Heat putting on an absolute clinic and Jimmy Butler taking over. I mean, they outscored the Celtics by, what, 21 in the third? They win the game by 11, and Jimmy Butler was great. 41 points, 9 boards, 5 assists, 4 steals, 3 blocks. Numbers like that in a conference finals game. All the haters of, well, you can't do this with Jimmy Butler. You can't do that. They need to stop. They've been to the finals with Jimmy Butler. They're in the conference finals again as the one seed with Jimmy Butler leading the way, fueling that thing. It, I mean, it was big. Remember the sideline outburst between Butler and Spolstra and Udonis Haslam? It was, it was against the Warriors back in March. And if the Warriors happen to play the Heat in the finals this year, I'm sure you'll see plenty of replays of it. Look, Butler's an intense guy. He pushes things to the edge. But the reality is, since that outburst, the Heat are 15-6. and six. They're the one seed in the East, and they're three wins away from reaching the NBA Finals. 
You can overreact to an emotional outburst on the sideline when you're not in the locker room day to day. There is a thing such as heat culture. There is. I mean, Butler, when, when a player scores the way he was scoring last night, you might see him let up just a smidge on defense. Wasn't happening. I mean, that guy was picking off Jason Tatum passes. He had 17 points in the third. It was great. Heat up 1-0. Now, as the Celtics said afterwards, look, we were just out-toughed in the game. The Celtics were 2 of 15 from the field in the third quarter. 2 of 15. They went seven minutes and seven seconds before even getting a basket in the third quarter. It was atrocious. Jason Tatum had six turnovers. The Heat were putting it on them. That was an that that was the most impressive quarter of basketball we've seen from a team this postseason. And Jimmy Butler had his fingerprints all over that game. 39-14. They outscored Boston in the third. Now let's not ignore the fact that Boston was missing Al Horford due to COVID. They were missing Marcus Smart, but the Heat, no Kyle Lowry. It's impressive. It's impressive. As far as the mock draft goes, There are plenty of them now that you have the actual order. The Magic move up for the number one overall pick. The OKC Thunder, who have never had number one overall, were at number two. They did take a guy named Kevin Durant there once at two overall. Rockets land the third pick, and the Kings moved into the top four. Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren, who goes one, who goes two? After that, you can go up on mock boards. They're all over the place. Keegan Murray, they he, he, some boards have him going fourth overall. Others have him falling to eighth for the Pelicans. We'll talk more about what they might do with that pick. I say you got to keep it. You got to keep it, in my opinion. You hit a grand slam last year with your draft. The Pelicans roster is about to get awfully expensive. If you extend Zion Williamson, you'll be pushing close to the luxury tax soon. You're going to need valuable rotation players on rookie contracts like you had last year with Murphy, with Jones, with Alvarado, and and to an extent with Jackson Hayes, though I don't know that Jackson will be there after this season. But the point is productive rotation players on rookie deals for a team that's right on the cusp of the luxury tax in a small market, wants to compete for championships, keep the pick. Just don't screw it up. Keep the pick. Just don't screw it up. More on that in seven minutes with my guy Chris Connor at Impatient Bull on Twitter. Mitchie Cajun Baseball. You had good performances last night from the guys on the mound. Chipper Menard pitched the final four innings of relief. He was great. He, Austin Parent, I mean, they did, I think, what, they allowed two hits the whole night? 
three Cajun pitchers combining between Perrin, Menard, and Wilson for a two-hitter. Last time that happened was when Gunnar Leje, Wyatt Marks, and Demo Dylan Moore beat Coastal Carolina in 2017. And it was great to see Perrin making that final start at home. Really good to see. He's been in that program a long time. He's 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 left plenty of ball out there on the diamond. And he's worked hard. So it was great pitching. And then, you know, once the Cajuns' bats got going, <clears throat> once Veon hit that pinch hit home run, and they had the four-run sixth inning, that was it. It was over. It was over. Cajuns win at 6-1 last night. More on Cajun baseball in the 8 o'clock hour when assistant coach Anthony Babineau will be in in studio to talk some Cajun ball, among other things. You know, Bab and I sometimes get off track a little bit. That's all right. We got an hour. We got an hour. <clears throat> but shout out Austin Perrin, Chipper Menard, Jeff Wilson also, the three of them combining for a two-hitter and a victory. Monday Night Football. Big changes coming to Monday Night Football. In 2023, they will increase the number of games they get by 35%. ESPN will anyway. There will be flexibility. They're going to be able to flex games between weeks 14 and 18. ESPN, it's one thing if you flex a game to a night game, but changing it to a whole different day of the week Something that years ago the NFL wouldn't have dreamt of. Can't do it to the season ticket holders, to the travelers, to everyone else. Well, now they're like, ah, whatever. How ticked off would you be, though, if you, like, booked a trip to Vegas to watch the Saints play the Raiders on a Sunday? We're flying out Sunday night, and then a few weeks before the game, they're like, actually, the game's going to be played Monday. See what the problem is here? NFL doesn't care. They don't care. More than anything, the TV money is where it's at. Disney also apparently wants to get involved in the NFL Sunday ticket bidding. Whoever, whether that's Apple, Amazon, or Disney, that's going to, we're talking like 2.5 bill, something crazy, something crazy. But that wouldn't start until 2023. But Monday Night Football with the flex? Eh. CSB and Lafayette, great Scott show. Chris Connor. About to jump on with me. Looking forward to chatting with him about the Pelicans, NBA playoffs, Saints betting future, Pat Beverly and more. Anthony Babineau in the 8 o'clock hour. Excuse me, Coach Anthony Babineau. It's all coming your way right here on the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. The biggest names in sports are talking to you every day on the Rich Eisen Show with me, Rich Eisen. I know! Every weekday from noon to 3, right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is the NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app.
Duncan of the Great Scott Show hitting you up on a Wednesday morning. UL assistant coach Anthony Babineau in studio in the 8 o'clock hour. You're joining me now to talk some NBA playoffs, the draft, little Saints talk, little Pat Bev talk. Is the legend Chris Connor at Impatient Bull on Twitter. This guy's been uh, grinding for years, writing for the Bird Rights, uh, Canal Street Chronicles, and started doing spaces on Twitter after Pelicans games early in the season. And uh, it just grew and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, reminded me of when I was young, listening to Buddy D before that, Hap Glowdy, but the 2022 version of the post-game call-in show, a little more unfiltered, certainly different. Like I said, the 2022 version. I love getting on there and just letting it rip, but Chris is now um, with uh, Boot Crew Media. A lot's come from it, and so let's welcome him into the show. No stranger to the program either. Good morning. What's going on, Chris? Good morning, Scott. Uh, Look, man, um, it's always a pleasure to be on. Every time I come on here, I tell you that you're probably the only person that I would get up this early for to talk anything that doesn't uh, concern breakfast for. So um, I um, appreciate <laughs> no, no, for whatever I, reason, the reason I do this. <laughs> hey, man, he sets the alarm for us. And uh, no, man, we really appreciate it. And I know it's. I know we run different schedules, and it's early for you. Um, but let's let's dig right into it, man. Uh, like I said, congrats on the success and and what you've been working at, and what you still have coming to you. But in the meantime, man, where where did you get your degree in just Twitter trash talk? Because you love just poking fun at a lot of insecure, um, you know, eggs and others on Twitter that seem to be pretty insecure, despite their favorite team having lots of championships. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I you know, I think my my perspective is, you know, uh, a lot of times I really I really try to stay out the way, man. You know, um, I really, you know, there's certain there's a lot of conversations that, you know, I I, I just choose to to not involve myself in because I know that, that that there's no there's no victory, right? There's no way to be right or wrong. Um, and at that point, it's just a waste. It's just a waste of energy. And you know, all the times you feel like arguing and debating, and then uh, times like yesterday, it's just like, man, like what? Um, there are, you know, situations with with Laker fans, the people that they mention the Pelicans um, without context or just things that just don't matter. I mean, no, honestly, man, it's, a, it's one of the reasons that, you know, I, I even got involved with wanting to do, you know, Twitter spaces shows and, you know, and stuff like that, just to just bring, um, to kind of balance the narrative of it, you know, in a sense. And yeah, man, I mean, I don't know. I would just fairly say I have a, I have a degree in some of these things, but it's just like, it's like, man, like where do these people get, get some of this nerve to, uh, to say, some of these things that just don't make any sense. And I think, you know, you know, we're in a, we're in an era now and, you know, we're definitely a part of a, of a community with this team and, you know, be honest, but especially coming from the place where I come from in New Orleans. So no, to where it's like, nah, man, like, like that's just not, that's not flying anymore. I don't care what team or what community you support, how many championships your team has. I don't care what type of situation you think they're from or who or who's the, who's on this respective roster. Um, 
I mean, times are changing in a lot of different ways. And now, it's, you know, it, it should be the Pelicans' turn to kind of, you know, set a, um, you know, put together a run or put together a, um, you know, a new era of their own. And I think it's just, you know, when the shoe's on the other foot, you know, the jokes were flying years ago against the Pelicans when things were ugly. And they've had a lot of different years and, and, and areas within the franchise's arrival, well, since the arrival in New Orleans, that have been ugly. The jokes were fine then, and people didn't say anything, and um, nobody, you know, stood up for New Orleans, or um, it just wasn't a fun time to be a Pelicans fan. But now that it is again, you know, if you get if you could dish it, you know, you should be able to take it. And I, I think a lot of times that's the perspective that I come from. Just keep it balanced. And and you know, if you get in someone's mentions, I mean. Chris might just simply retweet it and let others handle it. He might get, but you, someone comes in your mentions. That's different. If you're if you're directly messing with someone, okay, I get it. But uh, to your point, what inspired it? Right, years of okay, we need we need an outlet here. We need a lot of people coming together, and that's you know, it's uh, social media can be toxic at times, but it also can be beautiful, and it it also can create these communities, and that's something that you and and several others have done with some Twitter spaces and, and, you know, for the, for, I think for the longtime Pelican fans slash Hornets fans, right. That have been there the last 20 years. And like you said, let's be real, Chris, majority of those 20 years that it's, it's been, it's been a lot more ugly than beautiful, but um, you know, whether it be the longtime fans or, or ones that are just kind of jumping on the wagon, giving them that place to be like, look, it's, it's, it's not just the Pels 12, even though, you know, I love the rally cry and how that would inspire that all. It's, it's a, it's larger numbers. It's there. And this franchise, Chris, as we, you know, we're not just going to talk Pels the whole time, but this is something I wanted to ask you. It's something I've talked about on the air. It's something that I feel like it, it's always been, you know, uh, stop and go with this franchise for 20 years. You know, it's always been, well, they're good, but, you know, superstars there and they're basically like, give me a reason why I should stay. You, it, it never... It never felt like whatever goodwill they were building with some fans was organic in nature. It, it just it always felt forced at times, and not to say that I didn't root for the team or follow the team or cover the team, but the success wasn't sustainable. This pocket of success right now, and folks can say, "Oh, pocket of success! Look at the record." Blah, blah blah. If you were watching the team this season from the start to the finish, if you know what they have in terms of future draft assets, if you know what they have on the roster, you know the future is extremely bright. Why, why do you feel like this pocket of success right now feels sustainable? What? Why does it feel so different than those ones we've had in the past, where some fans might get excited and then? Fast forward 10 months later, and everybody's like, well, that was, remember 10 months ago? It felt like 10 years ago. Well, I think the difference now, you know, when you look at the 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 overall, uh, you know, when, when you take a look at the franchise dating back even to the beginning, um, a lot of the best years came with, came on the, on the strength of, of veteran players. It came on the strength of free agents, whether they were, you know, big time free agents at the time. You know, even if you want to date back to, you know, bringing in a guy like Peter Stoyakovic, or um, if you want to talk more mid level guys, or even cheap ten day, one year players. I mean, that's that's been when the when the Pelicans have had good success, and I'm talking about playoff run situations where, you know, 
NBA pundits, people that cover the league, thought that they could really, um, you know, compete possibly, you know, deeper into, into some playoff series. That's what it was really based around. Now, yeah, you had the season in 2014 where they make the playoffs, and they're relatively, you know, they have a bunch of relatively, I mean, for the most part, young guys. Um, you, you know, you definitely had that year they get swept by the Golden State Warriors. But, I mean, when you look at a lot of the, a lot of the other runs, I mean, that's what you were talking about. The difference is now is that there's a lot of youth, and a lot of youth that were brought, that were brought in, um, that were drafted from, uh, or that were drafted by New Orleans, right? This year, or uh, you talking about three rookies playing, making major contributions, and they look like they should be good beyond this year. You're talking about the draft picks that go, they go beyond what New Orleans has this year, well, future Milwaukee and still what's left over from the Anthony Davis trade. We're talking about the eighth overall pick that, um, you know, you are – you weren't supposed to be in a situation where you can make the playoffs, make, uh, go to six games with Phoenix, and then come back with a top ten pick. You know, um, and that goes beyond the you know the fact. Okay, your core, right? Zion Williamson, you know Brandon Ingram. Um, you know you have you have youth there. You have guys that have that have played beyond what they're what they're getting paid. Herb Jones comes in immediately and looks and looks like he can be a generational defender. Um, you have a lot of pieces that go just beyond um, the time, the time up. So your, you know, uh, we're not just like the ceiling is just higher than it's been, and it go. And I mean the assets, the flexibility. So even if it doesn't work, right? And we saw it happen from Milwaukee, you know, to where they make the playoffs and you know one year that they can't get over a hump, so they have to make another move. They pivot. They, you know, they end up having to move. No, they get a they get a they they get Jabari Parker. That that doesn't work. They take asses. They have to move again. Then it, then they go sign in Brooke Lopez. Then they trade for Drew Holiday. Um, I mean, we, so many different people that have come and and you know and went there, but it ends up getting them um, a championship. And the narrative on them completely, you know, is completely different from what it would have been without it. Um, and they didn't have the you know the same amount of assets that say the Pelicans have now, so I think that's really what's interesting. And when you are a small market team, when you are a team that you know is working to change um, your what people, how people view you, where people will want to come and play for you, play with you, play a part of the culture. You have Willie Green, you have you know the the front office now that people were trashing, including myself, um, just you know a little bit over a few months ago. Now. They're looked at as you know as a, a you know a much better one than than, than the look that we had a, uh, or some of us had a few months ago. Just those kind of things, the way you know perception, consistency. You know, I mean, there's so many different things that I think you can point to. But I but I think the biggest thing is the youth on this team, the ceiling going forward, and the assets that you have to where if it doesn't work, the tradable pieces that you have to where if something doesn't work, if something goes left as it has a chance to do, um, you have a chance to pivot and change some of those things, all while having, um, you know, a mixture of really good superstar talents and a guy like C.J. McCullough who um, is going to do a lot of work behind, you know, behind the scenes and on the floor for you that um, I think will go beyond just what the win and loss record brings you. Chris Conner, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, great Scott show. 
Uh, and 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 also, Chris, you know, the the relationship between the 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 team and the fans seems like it's it's been built organically. This this group, this current roster, this group, it feels more authentic and real. Is that just me? I mean, I, I kind of get that vibe just being in the spaces that you host and others and following this team the way I do and being in there. It's I'm not saying that that the the fans weren't hardcore into you know the sweep of the Blazers. We all were, right? I'm not saying this team wasn't into Chris. Chris Paul was beloved in those those that 0708 team. You know, uh, most talented team ever. You know, and the next year the season ticket sales were high, and, and we could go back to again those pockets of success. There's something between this group and the relationship with the fan base that feels, for the most part, pretty authentic. We we could get into Zion how much of it is, you know, posturing or or what he wants to say or should say. How much of it is real? I don't. People can debate it all they want. I don't care. I'm just talking about what we saw unfold the last couple of months. That relationship matters, right? It. It, we, and, and you could go look at any, right? When the Thunder had, you know, a great run in OKC, that relationship with the fan base felt real in a lot of ways, and they kind of caught fire with it, right? We could go to the Raptors in Toronto, and I know we're talking about a bigger city in Toronto, but, you know, a lot of people like to bring up the Saints. and the, I'm, not, I'm not saying the Pelicans are the Saints right now, but I'm telling you that that, that relationship between fans and team, it was different. Prior to 06, I know because I was a part of it. And when something was built organically, it just it it can carry over for years and years, regardless of who's on the roster. I mean, if you're thinking long term, that's why I feel like this current pocket is so integral into in, in what they do next. Because if you can have success while that relationship with the fan base is, you know, I I don't want to go as maybe using the word sacred is too strong, but when it's as strong as it is right now. That's when you build up that long-term fan that, you know, isn't isn't maybe the folks that you and I hear on the spaces, but the ones that kind of come and go. You want them to stay? This next step is really, really crucial for the team. Yeah, because the way you got their attention, you know, was, um, you know, a lot of people arrived and were going to be here, I think, just for, like, if the season would have ended even in a plan loss, I think a lot of people really enjoyed the journey. You know, we were a lot of people were here and rallied around this team. Um, hell, man! I mean, dating. I don't know if necessarily. You know, you know, you could say that uh, there were enough people there when they were one and twelve. That, you know, I mean, that's what we talked about for a while. The three and sixteen days. People were definitely there because I was there and I saw. I saw the numbers that were, that were pulling up, but when yep. the team continued to fight and they continued to, you know, and, you know, Willie Green and, uh, you know, those guys continued to show up for their coach. And some of those wins, like, you know, in Utah and, uh, you know, and Oklahoma City, and you just kept hearing and seeing, like, how much the locker room really enjoyed to be around each other. And the team, from a, from a statistical standpoint, and we're talking wins and losses and, you know, standings weren't very good. Um, and then welcoming me in CJ McCollum and Larry Nance. And I forget how many games at the time they were out of, um, you know, a playing spot, but those guys immediately embracing themselves into, into the world and talking about how much they saw or what they saw in regards to promise. And you finally see, you know, I think that, you know, the difference was so long is that, man, you know, you, you just want people, smart basketball players and people that, 
uh, look at the Pelicans and see exactly what you see, for, for better or for worse. And finally, it seems like that's what's happening here. Um, and sure, I mean, the, the fan base rallied around a lot of negativity. And whether that meant, okay, we don't know what's going on with Zion, but if he doesn't want to be here, we're totally fine. We're cool with that. Um, whether that means, you know what, Kendrick Perkins doesn't know what he's talking about. Or whether that means um, just whatever random writer said something stupid about relocation or said anything that didn't make sense about the franchise and we knew the facts. We continue to show up for that. It just so happened that, that the team turned around with it all at the same time. So, yes, that was a good job in regards to getting people together. And it was, it was as organic as it can be from the watch parties. Again, shout out to Pels 12, to all the different, different platforms that have been pulling up, people that, that, that started, you know, the different voices and writers that we've, that we've seen locally pull up. You know, uh, and I, every time I'm in the city, the amount of jerseys that have, that have, that have pulled together, the chalk talk. With Antonio Daniels has helped do. It's been so many things that have passed that. But now, Scott, you got their attention. I'm with you. You've got to find a way to keep it. And how you do that, one way or another, you build on it. Whether that means it's another playoff run. Whether that means that um, you have a really good, successful regular season. Whether that means that somebody steps up that you're not expecting and makes this thing a lot easier than it has to be. It, there's a lot of ways that it can go. And it's a lot of ways that, you know, you want this to, um, you know, to get better. It doesn't have to be a huge step. You don't have to be a championship team next year. But how you end up, moves you make upcoming draft, free agency, trade market, whatever the case may be, at worst, you have to take another step. It could be a small step. It's got to be forward, continue though. to build. It's got to be forward. Continue to build. Continue with consistency. Yeah, it's got to be a step forward, uh, bottom line. And, you know, to your point about the players embracing it a little bit, in the past it was uh, – vibe of give me a reason why i should stay from not from all the players but a lot and now it's hey let's build this thing that's the vibe right and and i think the fan base recognizes that and i think they appreciate that um chris connor our guest at impatient bull on twitter or i'm patient bull depending on how you want to read it i was reading it the wrong way for years um or was i i don't know chris doesn't leave it as a mystery but i might just not believe him in that regard so you, you talk about moving a step forward I think with that eighth overall pick, what they do with it, look, man, this roster, I think it's about to get pretty expensive. I think, um, you know, you offer Zion an extension if that's the route you go, and I think it might be, and he said I'd sign it in a second and all that other stuff. Having rotational pieces on rookie deals is crucial. And if you're a team that's in a small market and you're trying not to pay the tax if you can help it and you're right up against it, Having rotation players last year, like obviously Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, and Jackson Hayes, and I don't know if his future is with the Pelicans, but last year, you know, he was in and out of the rotation, and then he once he got back into it, he was in it for a while. Point is, having guys on the rookie deals, I think they just need to make a pick. Trust in your scouting department. You knocked it out the park last year, Chris, and you were seeing a lot of reaction last night right out the gate about trading it. I... I I'm of the opinion I think they need to keep it and find a rotation player. They don't have to come in and play right out the gate, right? They can develop. And, you know, you saw Pell's rookies last year like Trey Murphy. It took him a long time to break into that lineup. And once he did, you know, he was he, he fit. And, and the future is really, really bright. So what are your thoughts on what they will or should do with the eighth overall pick in the draft this summer? Um, Man, you know, if you'd have asked me this, 
a month ago, if you'd asked me this two months ago, I might have told you, okay, if it falls, if you're able to get lucky and you get in the top four, man, that's perfect. You take one of those four talents, no matter what position they play, and you live with the results. And then I would have told you, if it falls in, if it falls anything outside of that, you consider trading it. And man, I, I, I've, I've thought about it since then and really looked at where this team is and just the, the position that they're in. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that I'm, I'm completely against trading it anymore. Um, I, I, I would consider it, consider, you know, depending on what offer, uh, comes your way. But I mean, I, I, I think you have to, you have to one way or another look for a way to, um, to make the best of the pick. Now, maybe the draft board ends up um, falling in a certain way to where you say, all right, you know, we're going to trade back. We, sure. You know, our draft board is lining up and, you know, we see value later on in the, you know, in the draft, maybe in the mid-teens and we'll go, you know, we'll go with that. It's worked, you know, it worked for us last year. Let's do it again. Um, but one way or another, I, I think you're in a premium spot. You know, I, I keep seeing the word lottery ticket. And I agree. You know, you, you have a chance. You're not supposed to be in this position to where you can even draft one of these guys. And I think that, man, you know, there's so much that's undecided that we still have to see as great of a season as it was with all things considered. You know, you were still with nine games under 500. You know, that's, that's where you ended. You still have a lot of, you know, the team, you weren't a traditional agency once you added C.J. McCollum. So, of course, you know, you can, you can throw the record out of the, out of the window in a lot of ways. But... You know, you still have so many things that, that, that have yet to be seen. You haven't seen how Zion fits, how that's going to work, how they're going to look defensively. You have to see them mesh with Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum and Jonas Valanciun to see how that looks. Um, what kind of step will, you know, improvements will Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, and Jose Alvarado make? You know, what happens with Devontae Grant? Do you move him? Do you make some minor, you know, some minor moves? How how uh, does Jackson Hayes take another leap? How does that look? Larry Nash, like there's a lot of, we, the team and everything that we saw this year was great, but we still have more to see. You know, Kyra Lewis, they're going to have a decision to make on him soon. How does that look? How does he look, you know, does he end up taking minutes from somebody? Um, there's just so many things that, you know, that's left that I think you have to end up seeing with this team. Um, that's one side of it. It's where it's hard for me. I understand that they don't make any, any drastic moves, even if even if you keep everything, uh, if you consider almost anything that's thrown your way, um, that's one side of things. Because I mean, I I ultimately think Zion Williams and T.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram are just going to be completely overwhelming offensively, and it will allow you to get by. So it's at worst be average defensively with the way this coaching staff at worst has people competing defensively above their means. That's just how I, you know. That's my perspective. But then, you know, the other side is what you said. The roster is going to be expensive upcoming. So you need to have, you know, to have things in the vault. Players, whether, whether they're guys with high upside that we, you know, you may not see right away, or whether it's someone who can't contribute right, you know, right away. Um, you know, and I don't think that that, maybe that's someone they trade back for, and it's another guy up that's 21 years old like Trey was or a little bit old, or older than that like Herb Jones was. One way or another, you make the most of this pick. When you look at teams that have that have been in situations like New Orleans, um, where they are, you know, a smaller market or you know, a place in which free agents, free agents just aren't coming to sign to, they aren't coming to take discounts for, they aren't coming to 
you know, spend the, the next years of their prime as stars to San Antonio, for example, what worked for them? Continuing every few years, someone that you forgot about from a previous draft, or maybe someone that wasn't valued the same way as a, as a top five pick was, came in and contributed for them. And they just continued to have a pipeline of these guys. But this is the opportunity you have right now. And it may not be the sexiest thing, because I think, you know, New Orleans is a situation, you know, we come from a spot, you know, you're hungry. You're, you're in a situation where you take this success, you want more, you want to build off of it. Maybe you want somebody who contributes right away. But maybe that guy, you know, a, an extra shooting guard or another center, that maybe that person can end up being brought to you in the middle of. Or maybe you can trade a few second-round picks and get that individual. Or maybe it's already on the roster, we just don't see it yet. Um, I ultimately believe whether people love it or not, you get, you're going to get more out of figuring out what the hell Zion Williamson is going to look like once he is back and healthy than you do by trading this draft pick and getting a guy like Kevin Hurd or someone else. That's just my opinion. And I, I, I respect others that see it, you know, the view it in a different manner. Um, that's just where I'm at with it. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of minutes on this team to go around as is from what we told, you know, from what we have. You bank on a, you bank on the development of some of these other guys you have here, and you're banking on when Zion Williamson comes back. Hell, they were they were a tough team to beat. I think and a good team from a roster and just a you know schematical perspective without seeing Zion Williamson play a minute together. When he comes back, he is still a generational talent that may be able to lift your ceiling or lift or lift your floor even more than we realize. Make some smaller moves, and then if you have to move from there. Whatever you have to do beyond that, I think any big moves, you make the following trade deadline, whether that be moving Jackson Hayes, that doesn't work, Jonas, whoever we're talking about, Devontae Graham, future draft picks, that's the route that I would go. Take this pick now, get someone you really like, figure it out from there. I'll say this. I, I Personally, I hope it's not Jonas. I mean, you mentioned people wearing their jerseys everywhere. My son's been rocking his Jonas jersey to free dress day this week. So, you know, I know, <laughs> I know he and I would be sad, uh, you know, and, he, and my son still wears Zion stuff a lot, but with Zion out this year, he, he got more into the Pelicans than he had in the past. And I don't know, he just keeps asking me why I can't grow a beard like Jonas. I was like, son, it's just not in the cards. I'm sorry. What about your hair? That's not in the cards either. What about your height? That's not in the cards either. He's like, well, I like that guy. I'm like, me too, but I'm not him, kid. Um, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I like your approach, right? I, I like what you said about Zion. That's where you're going to learn the most about the development and future of this roster, how he fits. And until then, you know, making a uh, – I, I, I don't know that they're, they're in a position where they'd make any irrational move, right? But I think everything has to be so calculated here, and there's some unknowns. And so I think the safer way roster construction is just to trust in your scouting and – Get a guy there at eight. We'll see what they do in the meantime. Chris Connor has been our guest, ESPN Lafayette. Let me ask you this, Chris. Um, Heat last night, putting it on the Celtics. And I know that Boston was missing a couple of players, but have the Heat been the most disrespected team in the playoffs from a media standpoint, being a one seed, um, you know, being in the East? I, I know from a betting standpoint, I mean, their futures wasn't that much better than the that's whenever the playoffs started, so that kind of tells you how the betting public viewed the Heat. Now they're up 1-0 in the Eastern Finals. Um, you know, other than Pat Riley not having hair gel, uh, nothing really surprised <laughs> me about last night's game. I mean, Jimmy Butler's capable of doing and stuff stuff like that. So where, where are you at on the Miami Heat right now? 
Um, man, um, the first thing that I think of right now is that, you know, I feel like, you know, the bubble, the bubble run for Jimmy Butler was huge. Uh, you know, we saw certain impacts that he was able to make with other teams. Uh, in Minnesota, they get better. Philly, they get better. We saw the run and his emergence in Chicago and, you know, the bubble run with Miami and what they make it to the finals. A lot of people, I think, consider that, consider that a fluke. So, you know what? It'll never happen again. Well, it looks like it's happening again. And if it does happen and Jimmy Butler gets back to a finals appearance, I think that we need to be treating him on the same level that we treat someone like a Kawhi Leonard. Um, I think, um, and I don't mean necessarily from, you know, the, uh, he would have to win a championship, I think, of course, for you to look at it, you know, for it to be that Toronto run. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting him on a level. I'm talking about right now just as a talent. And the way that we, the way that we see him, that level that we rake them in, when it comes to superstars, right? Because there are there are multiple branches now. The NBA is so talented. I think at the at the uh, at its highest is that we have multiple brackets for superstars. And maybe Jimmy was in a second or third tier. Maybe you didn't you didn't look at him as a superstar at all. Well, I think now he's showing, man, the way that he has performed. Uh, you know, they were down 12 at halftime, and he puts on a clinic, you know, with a bunch of others. I mean, and look, and think about what they don't have right now. They don't have Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry has been injured for a good majority of the postseason. It hasn't mattered. They found a way, one way or another, to continue. He's found a way. Uh, Bam Adebayo hasn't played up to outside of the first few games, I think, where Philly is missing Joel Embiid, he's been inconsistent. They paid Duncan Robinson a lot of money. He's not playing a minute right now. Yeah. You know, Marcus Morris, you know, I mean, we're talking about a lot of guys, you know, Max Strauss, we're talking, you know, uh, Gabe Vincent, no disrespect to any of these guys, but these are the people that Jimmy is helping to elevate for better or for worse. You got, you're, you're working in Victor Oladipo last minute. Tyler Hero is very talented. But when you look at that roster and you look at who's contributing right now, it's not it's not a bunch of household names. But Jimmy goes out there, puts up forty one nine and five on twelve and nineteen shooting without making a three pointer, and you know creates what seven turnovers or what? Or he had put four steals, three blocks, something like that, with the you know in a situation with their down game one, and a game in which I think the you know they had to win with Boston missing uh, Marcus Smart and Al Horford. Um, heck of a performance, and it's just making me—it's making me rethink how I look at Jimmy. Um, and you know, we know how well coached they are with Eric Spoelstra. I mean, I, I just—I've kind of—I mean, I, I'm with you, man. I, I've looked at them as like an afterthought. I think maybe it's time that you know, even I reconsider that and wonder, okay, um, if they make it past Boston. I mean, are they a team that could possibly win it all? Are they that Are they that good? Because there's definitely a reason that they were the number one seed in the East. Um, at what point do we look at them as someone that's just better than, um, better than just regular season success? Are they a team that if they get to the championship, no matter who makes it out, Dallas, which would be funny, Dallas, Miami, the teams every seven, six years, they're always going against each other again. Uh, or is Golden State, do they have a legitimate chance of being a championship team? And why not considering um, how they just continue to just move on 
And whether they're picked to do well or not, they just continue to thrive and play well and win games. So um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think about here. If, uh, I think I've been disrespectful too with this team. So they they continue to play well, man. And Jimmy Butler, what he's doing is incredible. Um, and it's not just him, but uh, nothing but nothing but props to them. Mavs Warriors tonight. Um, who do you like in this series and why? Um, Golden State. I mean, I you know I just think that uh, you know at some point, as great as Jalen Brunson has been, Spencer Dinwiddie, we've seen Dorian Finney Smith, the White Power, we know what Luka Doncic has been. Um, man, I it just the the talent just has to win, and I think Golden State's a buzzsaw. We know how well they play. You know they play well together, and sure Memphis gave them a few more struggles down the stretch than some expected without John Morant. But this is what Golden State is built for. This is what the season was about. Hoping that Klay Thompson came back healthy and hoping that, you know, a healthy Draymond and Steph and bringing that core back in combination with some of the improvements that they made. You know, hell, and they're another team that, hey, they, they could have traded their draft picks. Their franchise, you know, a lot of people in their, uh, in their community wanted them to trade both their draft picks are one of them to get immediate veteran help for Steph and company. Different situation there, of course. We're talking champion, talking about teams, players that are that are that are, that are much older that have won championships in the past. I get it, but their draft picks are gonna are gonna pay off for them down the line and allow them more flexibility. And you know, we Jonathan, you know, Kamonga has has contributed a lot this year and in this playoff run that they've had, but. Um, yeah, man, I mean, at the end of the day, this, this is what they're here for. And I think combination of what Jordan Poole has done, another, another late draft pick, you know, kind of become a budding star guy that is going to get a lot of money very soon. Um, overall, I just think that they're, they, they're going to have to be, they're the team that's overwhelming in this friend, you know, in this, in this situation, they have a lot of guys, a lot of different defenders to throw at Luca and we, it's clear that nobody can guard him. But I think their flexibility, their, the way that they play as a unit, their shooting, uh, we know that they can go off for, you know, a 40-point quarter at any moment and they have a bunch of different ways and people that can help get them there. Um, I love Dallas's run, but I think that, you know, they ha- at, at some point, it, in my opinion, it's going to come to an end. Um, who will end up putting it to an end, we'll have to see. But I do think it will be Golden State. Uh, they they were a lot of people's pick from earlier in the year to get here and to get to back get back to a championship. We saw how things broke down in the West and around the league. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be Golden State, and mainly because you know eventually Luca has to run into a wall. I think at some point this run does catch up with him. The amount of energy he has to put into each game, even with the people that are making plays around him, I think it's a lot. And when you're throwing different guys at him. Draymond, it's going to be Otto Porter. It's going to be Jonathan Kumunga. Hell, maybe we see Andre Iguodala make a, you know, make an appearance. They just have so many players. Clay Thompson, that you're going to be able to throw at Luka throughout. And it doesn't mean it's going to be an answer, but I think it's enough to um, make it to where what even the Superman performances that he's put up just won't be enough. I think Golden State wins in either six games, maybe it goes seven, but Golden State should end up victorious. Chris Connor of um, 
boot crew media, of the Twitter spaces, obviously, of Canal Street Chronicles, of the Bird Rights, has been our guest at Impatient Bull on Twitter. Give him a follow. Chris, Two last two questions, and, and you can be quick with them. Um, Pat Beverly, very, very personal, right? There's, there's being an analyst and there's just being personal. He went on. He drew a lot of headlines this week. People had mixed reaction to him uh, going in hard on one Chris Paul. Uh, what do you make of Pet ba- Pet Patrick Beverly as an analyst? And are you, you think that's good? You think that's more the future of NBA media? Or was this ESPN just being afraid of, you know, uh, having one of their own talents butcher the president of the NBA PA uh, or former president rather, and decided let's just get a guy in that doesn't like him and we'll draw headlines that way. <laughs> I mean, you never know, man. It's probably a mixture of a bunch of different things. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, when I when I woke up and saw the things that Patrick Beverly originally said dating back to Monday, I found it very entertaining, to be honest. You know, and the first thing I thought about, like, man, he's going to get a lot of money when he decides to retire. And I think Pat Bev is probably in the same thinking, like, okay, um, especially with the, with the success like J.J. Redick has had immediately, you know, retiring and coming into this field and being on first take and Kendrick Perkins and, you know, maybe Pat Bev becomes a mixture of those two, right, between someone who's completely outspoken and completely tries to be raw in his delivery and being, you know, playing that I play card and maybe someone who, you know, who also uses a lot more facts as they perk does, you know, J.J.'s very stat-based outside of um, using the fact, digging back from his experiences as a player. Uh, I'm not sure, but, I mean, to be honest, I found it entertaining. It was crazy to see it. To, to, uh, it made me forget what well, I already forgot about the, um, the history that Pat Bev and Chris Paul necessarily had. I don't know, man, but it was just, it was very interesting. And I mean, look, for ESPN, it brought a lot of eyes to them, right? Matt Barnes comes on TV and defends Chris Paul. And I think there were others as well. It got a lot of people talking um, about the Phoenix Suns in ways I don't think, you know, you expected coming into the day. Um, I Look, man, I, you know, I mean, when you put a guy like Pat Bev on television, I mean, you should know, or you should be, you should be ready to expect the unexpected. I mean, it's just, I mean, the same, some of the same elements that make him or that have had him stay in the league and be as impactful as he's somehow been able to be over time. It's going to be the same things that make him interesting or make him entertaining uh, as a talker, as a, as someone who's reacting to what just happened. Um, all of it wasn't correct. Some of it was very emotional and not fact-based, and there were a lot of things that could be corrected. But you know, sometimes on TV, man, you know, you just want to laugh, man. Sometimes you, you know, it's perfect what you, you know, what you wanna, what you wanna hear in that particular moment, um, especially when it's different and it's new. And I think that's that's part of it as well. The shock factor, the fact that you haven't heard Patrick Beverly talk for that long against some of the debating against some of the people that he was. It just made for good TV. Him and J.J. Reddick going back and forth on certain topics, being former players, but also having spirited and, you know, in some case, factual opinions made for a really good time. Uh, I don't know how long it can last. I don't know if this, you know, if Pat will have to ever, if he does go on the broadcast, will have to change up his approach and maybe make it to where it doesn't get stale. But, uh, I mean, for the most part, I enjoyed it. 
because I think I'm comfortable with where I think where I hold Chris Paul at. I still think he's a top five, top ten all time point guard. He's probably still 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 in my top five, and I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't think anything that Patrick Beverly changed that one way or another. Uh, the good and the bad opinions that I have on CP3. So you know, it is what it is. I think some people just. I mean, look, man, it's not people's job to come out there and uh, defend or put on a cape for Chris Paul. He's a grown man, um, and his resume speaks for itself, the good the good sides and the bad sides of it. So, um, you know, we allowed Russell Westbrook to get completely trashed throughout throughout a year while he was playing uh, before his season even ended. I think it's okay to do a similar thing for Chris Paul, who hasn't won a championship and, um, you know, has some things that, that you can critique on the floor as a competitor, those the small things, the cheap things, the quote unquote dirty things, uh, and how his team performs and you know succeeds in playoff uh, in playoff situations. This is a roster and a team in Dallas that you would have thought that Phoenix should have beaten, and I think that I think that they believe, you know, I'm not alone in that thinking in which Phoenix should have. When you look at the the, the success they had in regular season and being a Finals team last year. They should have worth being the Western Conference Finals. I think it's a lot of it's fair game, man. Um, at the end of the day, I enjoyed it. All right, one minute left, Chris. Saints plus four fifty to win the NFC South, so ten dollars would win you fifty five. You put any money on that? You staying away from it? The plus four fifty, good or bad? If you're putting down any apples, what would you put on that? And then we'll let you go. I I would I would put. Uh, I don't know how much money I would necessarily put on it, man. But I'm a, I'm I'm a believer in this in what this roster is put together because I I think the core, for the most part, was kept together. I think they drafted they drafted spots as well to make up for if they have a few misses. Um, there's some youth there from this year and previous years, and it's still in a lot of ways living off that 17 draft class. But a lot of the guys that are still here and they aren't anxious yet. Um, you already had a really good, solid locker room, and you added a lot of guys who were going to help and add to that. So for a team that had as many injuries as they had last year, even even with losing Sean Payton, they you know uh, somehow, some way they won they won nine games. So even without Sean Payton, and we, that should make a uh, you know a difference. I just think the core of the team, the leadership, the talent, everything is in the right areas to where you can make some of these decisions and moves, and you upgraded positions that especially at the wide receiver spot you needed to uh, upgrade a long time ago. If Jameis Winston is healthy, um, I think that this team is going to have an opportunity to go beyond just winning the NFC South. That's just on paper. We'll have to see exactly how it all plays out. But I don't, I don't, see, I don't, I don't see the risk that some people may end up seeing out, you know, outside of the community. Um, I think they, you know, they added a lot of a lot of guys in regards to these blowups, a really low low risk. And even if if a Tyron Matthew or Jarvis Landry doesn't end up working out, I mean, a lot of you know there was some that didn't even expect to have them in the first place. There are other areas you you can pivot to. Um, and one thing this team has been is resilient, uh, and they found a way to adapt no matter who's out there over the past few years. So. Um, yeah, man. I, I, I this, so we we could talk real. We could talk in depth about that one day. I mean, there's a lot I think to be excited about this team. I put the money on it. Uh, go up to fifty dollars if you have it. If you haven't signed up for one of these places, 
Go ahead and do it. Put your money up there and reap the benefits in January or whenever the hell the season ends. Let's talk more Saints sometime this summer, man. In the meantime, Chris, uh, didn't think we'd chat this long, but I enjoyed every second of it. Give him a follow on Twitter, everybody, at Impatient Bull. Check out everything he's got going on. Bird rights, Canal Street Chronicles, Boot Crew Media, the Twitter spaces, all of it. He's, uh, he's a real one. He's been working for years, and I uh, always appreciate you coming all man. All the best, and uh, we'll talk to you probably in the spaces at some point, but uh, hopefully again on this show in the future. Appreciate it, Doug. You got it. That is Chris Conner. We'll